Good evening, everyone. So on today's episode, I want to talk about phosphate. Now, we all know phosphate causes algae, hair algae, for instance. Phosphate causes a lot of issues. But you need a little bit of phosphate for the corals to grow. Too much phosphate can actually inhibit the calcification of the corals and coralline algae. So I'm going to read something off of reefkeeping.com. It's Randy Holmes. He wrote it. It's called Phosphate in the Reef Aquarium. You can go on there. Check it out if you want. Good place. Has a lot of information. Um, I just want to read this to you guys and then talk about it for a second because a lot of people, you know, we're shooting for zeros on nitrates, uh, zeros on phosphate. You don't want to do that. You want to have a, you want to have minimal. You want to be in control of it because one, the, the corals need some type of nutrients to grow. So you got to have something because, um, I know a couple of people that have tanks that are spotless and they have trouble growing stuff now, like sticks and stuff like that. You can get away with really, really clean systems. Um, they kind of prefer that. But when you're talking like a mixed reef, like you have Euphelia or LPS, Zoas, Softies, etc., and so forth, um, you need a little bit of nutrients in there to help the corals grow. Um, it's amazing how much phosphate plays a role. How It's amazing how high phosphates can mess with your coral. Because they can really damage it. Uh, they could just cause issues everywhere. Um, so here, I'm going to get started on the first paragraph. The phosphorus atom is one of living matter's basic building blocks. It is present in every living creature and in every reef aquarium's water. Unfortunately, it is often present in excess in reef aquaria, and that excess has the potential to cause at least two substantial problems for reef keepers. The first is that phosphate is often a limiting nutrient for algae growth. So when elevated, it can permit excess growth and undesirable algae. The second is that it can directly inhibit calcification, like we talked about in the beginning, by corals and coralline algae. Because most reef keepers do not want either of these things to happen, they strive to keep phosphorus levels under control. Fortunately, there are several effective ways to keep phosphorus concentrations at acceptable levels. What these methods are and what are appropriate goals for reef aquarium phosphate concentrations will be addressed in this article. So there's a bunch of ways to decrease your phosphates. Um, Now, everyone thinks that, you know, zero nitrate, zero phosphate, I'm not going to have any algae. Remember, Dino thrives in low nutrient systems. Dino loves it. And Dino will take over. Um, We will talk about that in another episode because that's going to be a couple parts It's going to be multiple episodes because there's a lot to cover on that. It really, really 
is an issue in the hobby. I see a lot of people with it. And unfortunately, it gets a lot of people out of the hobby because it just takes over. And it's so hard to get rid of. But there's ways. Um, okay, so we're going to read this. Organic phosphorus compounds as well as orthophosphate are so prevalent in biological systems that any natural food necessarily contains significant concentrations of phosphorus. Not only can organic material be taken up directly to prove carbon, nitrogen, and phosphorus, it can be broken down by organisms and released as inorganic nutrients, such as orthophosphate, ammonia nitrate, nitrate, the met metabolic breakdown scheme for typical organic materials in phytoplankton is shown below. And flake food, for instance, is about 1% phosphorus by weight. Consequently, if 5 grams of flake food is added to a 100-gallon aquarium, there is potential for the inorganic orthophosphate level to be raised by 0.4 ppm. So that is a lot in a single feeding. That's insane. Because in retrospect, when you're talking, I mean, we're shooting. If you're, if you're trying to manage your phosphates, I like to have them under 0.01. That's like max. I try to keep mine at 0 0.004. Uh, I do like my water a little bit more on the dirty side. Um, but my systems are separated. So I have a Euphelia softy tank only. And that's where I keep higher phosphates. Because I've always had luck with keeping those types of corals in higher nutrient systems. But now you have to be careful because one accidental mess up like for instance i had my skimmer blow up the other week and it poured in all the skimmate it had for a couple days and that spiked my nitrites and spiked my phosphates so you got to be careful it's a it's a fine line you got to walk like this entire hobby that's all it is <laughs> this whole hobby is a fine line you got to walk um but almost Everything you put in your reef tank contains some type of nutrients per food-wise, um, some more than others, like frozen food. is pretty high in nutrients. Um, pellets, high in, oh, high in phosphates. Uh, the flake food, it has a good bit, but I'll tell you what. I use the Tetra Marine Flakes, and we actually took some, and we filled up a small water bottle and we dumped like probably i'd say equivalent to three handfuls of flake food in there and left it sit for a couple days uh we did it with a lid on nitrates and everything were zero the ph actually went down and then we did it with the lid off and everything still stayed zero we were curious if maybe the air hitting the water and becoming oxygenated would have any effect on the nutrients in the water coming from the flake food um oh here's another good point that they have finally tap water can also be a significant source of phosphate 
The tap water that Massachusetts Water Resource Authority supplies to me is acceptably low in phosphate, or at least it was the last time I measured it. In other water supplies, however, phosphate levels can be too high for reef keeping. In 2005, New York City officials reported that water samples showed phosphate levels as high as 3 ppm. That's high. Wow. I'd recommend phosphate testing to anyone with an algae problem who uses tap water in order to ascertain whether phosphate is in the water is an issue. Um, we actually ran into that issue. Um, we had an RO system, a three-stage, 75-gallon per day, bulk resupply RO system. And we kept getting phosphates. Like the phosphates were like 0.5. And I mean, we minimalized the feeding. I mean, we have, we were running GFO on it. We were doing everything. And the phosphates kept going up. And the only thing are, so the water coming out of the RO system was like one full PPM, not like 0.11. So it's insane. And unfortunately, Unfortunately, the people got discouraged and they're switching over to fresh water, which they're still keeping the tank, which is good because I always hate seeing people get frustrated to the point where they give up the hobby because that's sad. It really is. I mean, I, we've all been there. We've all come home and seen, you know, 10 corals dead and we're going, ah, screw this hobby. Ah, I want to get out of this. Um. I think all of us, it's natural. If you don't go through it, then I don't know what you're doing, but all to you. But we all go through that. I know I was, I started in the hobby when I was eight. Um, got my first reef tank and I skipped freshwater. I went straight to the reef tank. And I, I remember it was so fun. Oh my gosh. And you know how you go, you know, oh, you got one tank and then you have two tanks. And then you have 10 tanks. And then you have a 300 gallon tank and 10 tanks. Oh, so what I did was I upgraded to a 180 from a 55 when I was probably about 14. Um, and now granted, this was not gifted to me by my parents or anyone. I worked the entire summer to save up for the aquarium and to buy my fish and everything. Both of them. But so I set this 180 up and I had it stocked. I went crazy with Zoas. Oh, I was buying high end Zoas at the time. Purple Hornets, Blue Hornets, Red Hornets. They were hot. They were like $50, $60 a pollock. So this tells you how long ago it was. Well, and we were still using mag drives with a ball valve. We didn't have the DC low voltage, which they're awesome, but we didn't have that. Um, and I had a bunch of high-end SPS in it. I remember the Red Dragon, Red Dragon Acropora. They had it was new to the hobby, like people were just getting it. Awesome coral, but so I started losing stuff just randomly, like uh, all my high-end SPS just started RTNing, and my water parameters were good. Um, and I know. I know online it's okay. Your water parameters are good, but what are they? Um, they were actually in line. Like calcium was like 440, mag was 1320, which is a little low, but 
acceptable, you know, stuff like that. But I realized that I had a Corellia on it and the magnet on the inside blew up and was leaching into the water because the corals weren't like dying like all at once. It would be, you know, like one this week. And it was the, the high end fussy ones that were dying, which that's how it goes. They're, they're always the one that died. Um, so it sucked. And I actually got out of the hobby for probably like two years because I was so discouraged with it. But this hobby pulls you back in. Okay. So on the next one, this is the one that I really, really wanted to touch touch on. The calcification inhibit ambition. I butchered that. Don't listen to me. I'm illiterate. Biphosphate. One important issue relating to elevated phosphate in reef aquaria has to do with the inhibition of calcification by phosphate and phosphate containing organics. Phosphate is known to inhibit the precipitation of calcium carbonate from seawater. The presence of phosphate in the water also decreases calcification in corals, such as Pasolopora damicornis. Uh, Latin names always get me. And entire patches of reef. This inhibition is likely related to the presence of phosphate in the extracytoplasmic calcifying fluid, ECF, where calcification takes place in corals and on the growing crystal's surface. Exactly how the phosphate gets into the ECF isn't well understood. So at the end of the day, there's still a lot that we don't know about these corals. Like, I mean, it's amazing when you break it down into, into perspective. So you have... An or a colonized organism that symbiotically lives with what is called zooxanthellae, which is an algae that gives the coral color and they feed off of each other. Uh, and it's amazing because, I mean, each polyp is an individual part on like SPS. It's just amazing. There's no brain, there's nothing, and they can do all this. It's absolutely fascinating. It always has fascinated me highly um but we're going to go on to the second paragraph that was the first this inhibition of calcification takes place at concentrations frequently attained in reef aquaria and may begin at levels below those detectable by hobbyist test kits for example one research group found that long-term enrichment of phosphates or 0.19 ppm and again that's 0.19 ppm parts per million Maintained for three hours per day on a natural patch of reef on the Great Barrier Reef inhibited overall coral calcification by 36% or sorry, 43%. A second team found effects in several Acropora species at similar concentrations. So high phosphate inhibits the calcification of coral, meaning that the coral cannot grow and high phosphate. So if for some reason your corals stop growing and you see algae starting, you probably you you have a phosphate issue. Not probably, you do. Organic phosphate and phosph phosphonate inhibitors of calcification have also been studied and probably worked by a similar mechanism. Which again, it's amazing. Um, and there's a bunch of different way 
different ways to get rid of phosphate. Like there's GFO, you know, there's a million different things. But at the end of the day, you want to figure out why you are having phosphates. Are you feeding too much? What are you feeding? Uh, is your RO water coming out with phosphate in it? Um, you want to know these things because, yeah, I can, you know, do a temporary fix, but a temporary fix is worthless if I don't get it actually fixed. So, always when you have an issue, any type of algae issue or anything in your tank, you want to get to the root of the problem. You don't want to temporarily fix it. Uh, for instance, cyanobacteria or red slime algae. Cool. I can dose my tank with ChemiClean and get rid of it. But I kind of want to know why is my pH imbalanced, excess nutrients, not enough flow. You know, you want to go down that list with the easiest possibility first and go down that list and tick them off and see which one works. Because you're just putting a Band-Aid over an overall problem. So that's really why you need to figure out the root cause. Um, okay, here's another one. Phosphate uptake by organisms. How organisms obtain phosphate is in nearly all cases poorly understood. Even the phosphate absorption mechanisms used by humans are still subject of intense research. One of my professional research areas involves using drugs to modify phosphate absorption in, pe in people. Patients with kidney disease often suffer from excess blood phosphate because they cannot effectively excrete phosphate taken in with their food. My work has in part resulted in widely prescribed pharmaceutical that reduces the uptake of phosphate. Nevertheless, despite having studied this area for years, spending many millions of dollars and using resources of large teams of researchers, I would be the first to admit that the molecular level mechanisms whereby phosphorus gets from food into the blood is not completely understood. Because the absorption process in humans is not fully understood, it's not surprising that the phosphate absorption mechanisms in coral reef creatures are poorly understood. So there's, again, it comes down to the fact that there's still a lot more that we need to know. There's still a lot more we need to see and research. But, you know, we've come a long, long way. I mean, we know a lot more than we did 10, 15 years ago. It's pretty awesome. Okay, phosphate exportation by bacteria. A second means of exporting phosphate is bacterial growth. Such growth can be spurred by adding carbon sources to the water. Now, this is also referred as carbon dosing, um, which basically means you have your bacteria colonies, okay? And you add a source, a carbon source that includes sugar. So I vodka dose. It contains sugar. What happens is if you do it right, you should get a bloom of four to six hours, which means your tank should become milky white, which is bacterial bloom. And then after the four to six hours, it should dissipate. And you should see a reduction in mainly nitrates, but a little, I think it's like 10 to one. I, I might have that wrong, but I think that's the ratio. So for every 10 nitrate it reduces, it reduces phosphate by one. I might be wrong on that. If I am, I do apologize. Send me a message. We'll correct it. Um, 
I'm not big on that because you can mess that up pretty quick and don't ever dose it because if you get it, your tank in a constant bacterial bloom, you'll get this weird snow effect that goes over everything and it suffocates the corals and stuff. It's just not good. But when you vodka dose in that and that uh, you get that bacteria bloom, you want to make sure you have extra uh, oxygenation. So like a air stone or if you have a skimmer, awesome. Just keep that going because what that excess bacteria is going to do is take the oxygen out of the water. So you don't want to do that. Um, and then of course the export by skimming. So you have your skimmer pulls out all the fish crap, all that kind of stuff, nitrates, phosphates, you know, common sense. I'm sure most of you know what I'm talking about on that. Um, so, and another one is granulated ferric oxide or GFO. That one, I'll tell you what, that one works fast. Like I, well, like I said, so I had my skimmer blow up and it dumped all the, the uh, skimmate back into the system. So I had a spike in phosphate, put GFO on it. And within a day, it cut the night or the phosphates in half, which is awesome. But you have to make sure you keep up on it because if you don't, the GFO can actually leach the phosphates back into your tank. So you're just going to cause the issue. Um, oh. And another thing, when dealing with phosphates, if you have a massive hair allergy issue, or something like that, you your phosphates will probably give you a false reading. Because remember, your hair algae is also consuming your phosphates. And when your hair algae starts to die, it will re-release the phosphates into the water, which could cause a cycle of dying, releasing phosphate, hair algae growing again because the phosphate's back in the water. So... That's why if I'm dealing with hair algae, I like to manually remove it so then it cannot die in the water and re-release it and cause a cycle. And then you want to also reduce your phosphates. If you see hair algae in your tank anywhere, you have detectable amounts of phosphate. Um, it's just on a test, it might show up false because of that hair algae consuming it. So that's one to note for. But so that's kind of, you know, kind of what I wanted to touch base on how phosphates can affect your corals in a negative way. Um, and how many issues phosphates can arise if they're unchecked. So, again, be cautious. Do your due diligence. Research. Always research. And if you guys have any questions, that's going to be it for today. I think this is my longest video or my longest episode to date. And you guys heard me say all those big words. So it's a good day. My brain hurts a little bit from it. But hey, we're doing some good reading. Keeping the mind active. All right, guys. So we will be back later. I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Stay safe. Enjoy the... Enjoy the weather. Hopefully it's uh, warmer where you guys are at right now. It's uh, I think it's like 
35 degrees and it was snowing today. So stay safe and I will talk to you guys next week.